episode 232, Why the Right KPIs Are Vital to Improve Patient-slash-Customer Experience. Today, I speak with John Skinner from The Verde Group. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. It is pretty much inarguable that happy customers are a prerequisite for business success. And that's true in healthcare as much as it's true in every other industry. Although in healthcare, sometimes the customer is also called a patient. Provider organizations like Cleveland Clinic are really walking the walk when it comes to creating amazing patient-slash-customer experiences. So are other leading provider organizations. But in other segments of the healthcare industry, maybe they haven't quite connected the dots between the idea of satisfying customer needs in the abstract and then what that actually looks like relative to a strategic approach. Let me give you an example. Certainly not all pharmaceutical manufacturers. Here's where key performance indicators or KPIs come in. Everything we do should really be derived from what customers need and expect. This could be considered our North Star. And that's why creating KPIs that focus on how well we are doing delivering on great customer experiences over the long run deliver superior market returns and patient outcomes and patient satisfaction. My guest today on the podcast is John Skinner, who is an executive vice president at the Verde Group. John's message is that your KPIs, if they are done right in any case, should tell you if you are delivering on a set of customer expectations that are going to lead you to your vision of what success looks like. The Verde Group is a market research firm that specializes in quantifying the customer experience, in case you have not heard of them. I met John, by the way, at the Panagora Pharmacy X conference this past spring. By the way, in this interview, the acronym HCP is used. In case you are unfamiliar, HCP stands for healthcare professional, and it can mean anyone from a physician to a nurse to any other advanced practice clinician. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, John. Hi, thank you very much, Stacey. Speaking of quantifying the customer experience, let's talk about KPIs. How are KPIs used? What are the KPIs that one can use in order to quantify the customer experience? That is a, as you no doubt you know, know, a very broad question. So I think what I'll do is talk about the kind of KPIs that Verde typically works with. So we get hired to help them understand how to change the customer experience in a way that will change customer behaviors, right? So the question becomes, what behavior change do you want to stimulate? And what do you expect to happen because your patients or your HCPs or your, your payers are doing something different? Most of our clients focus in the pharmaceutical space, focus on one of two overarching strategic outcomes. One is more revenue, more customer value, more market share. The second would be superior sort of health and social outcomes from, you know, whatever it is that they are changing about the customer experience. So 
When we think about KPIs, we start with the end in mind. What exactly are those behaviors that you're looking to drive? Out of the hundreds, maybe multiple hundreds of customer experiences that exist, what are the few that are most consequential to driving those outcomes? And we start to build a system of KPIs against those specific experiences. So relative to the first major outcome that you were, or bucket of outcomes that you were talking about, which is overarching and trying to drive market share, basically trying to drive business performance, I could see easily how you could measure that. Somebody in-house has those numbers. But how are you? would be surprised, but (laughs) (laughs) But let's let's assume that's the case. Yeah, let's just go with that. But, you know, if we're talking about how do health or social outcomes improve? How does an entity, say a pharma entity, or even to a certain extent, a healthcare entity, like a hospital, how does any entity correlate a CX improvement to a, a social outcome? outcome or social outcome? Yeah. How so, does that happen? Well, let's talk about that, right? Because a lot of our work focuses on driving or improving adherence behaviors with a drug or a regimen or continuation behaviors, right? Which is a really profound issue for the healthcare industry. I mean, I I don't exactly know what the number is, and it changes depending on the study, but generally, most chronic disease patients, you know, adhere to their drug regimen, yeah, 70% of the time. And so there's a significant gap there, in both in terms of economic outcomes for a manufacturer of the therapy, but also in terms of the social costs of poor health you know, hospital readmissions, lost productivity, the drag of a chronic disease on, on an individual. I mean, it all adds up. So when we do adherence work, we focus on basically understanding the KPIs around the customer experience, a specific set of things that are highly consequential to whether a patient is or is not going to be adherent, which are not always what you might expect those things to be. And then there's all these other ancillary KPIs that, that ladder up to that. And those might be operational. Uh, they could have to do with how frequently you are in touch with your doctor, your digital engagement. And I think that's probably the, the sort of the big picture observation I would offer on KPIs is that you need to have a thoughtful portfolio of points of measurement in order to ultimately sort of get you to where you want to go strategically, right? So some of the things that you mentioned are more like leading indicators. So if we can't necessarily measure someone's health outcome, we could assume that, for example, they're not benefiting from the program if they're not engaging with the program. That's exactly right. Now, now some of these things are quantifiable, I mean, or more easily quantified than other things. You know, our work in the adherence space, and this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody who is either a physician or knows physicians or, or a patient with a chronic disease, is that there are a tremendous amount of highly influential experiences that occur between the physician or their staff and the patient themselves. Now, these are not the kind of things that you can actually get access to by going to a website and seeing how many people logged in, right? So sometimes you need to get inventive and creative about how you keep your finger in the wind on these KPIs. There's a saying in woodworking (laughs) that better is the enemy of good. Sometimes if you try to make something perfect or better, you sort of lose all the benefit of just doing it well, right? I'm in the business of quantifying as much as I can because I work for a market research consultancy, but I recognize that there are many times where you need to accept And it's okay to accept subjective or qualitative directional measures to make sure that you're moving in the right direction. Let me go back to something that you said a bit ago, and then 
reiterated again the same point. At the very beginning, we were talking about KPIs and you'd mentioned adherence, which I actually want to ask you about. And you had said, well, you know, some of the things that you learn are unexpected. And then or some of the KPIs that you would find or that you wind up using aren't what someone would... Non-traditional or maybe non-intuitive. Exactly. And then you kind of said that again. You're like, you got to get creative. You got to stick your finger in the wind. So what are some examples of those non-intuitive types of creativity that you have seen work? (laughs) First, let me start with an experience that when we unearthed this in a program a couple of years ago was extraordinarily alarming to our client. So we were doing work with a chronic disease. They happen to have a biologic product. And what we found in the course of our research was a significant proportion of physicians, it's less than 50%, but it was more than 20%, I forget the exact number, were telling their patients, you know, you need to take a break after a while from being on this therapy because it's not good for your body and it, they, you need to give your body a rest, right? So you can imagine this was driving all sorts of uh, sort of negative adherence and continuation behaviors. Uh, And frankly, as far as our client knew and as far as I knew, there was absolutely no clinical data to suggest that that was in fact the case, right? So the first thing is that there are some things that you need to measure that you may not know are really compromising the behaviors that you're looking to drive. Now, once you figure that out, this particular client put into place uh, sort of a rather, in, I, I thought it was innovative, series of subjective ways to check in on this. So they had educational programs around this issue. They started working with uh, KOLs around this. They actually started to do outreach to uh, educational institutions to make sure that uh, this was not a bias that was being developed early on in a clinician's career. And so they developed a series of interventions that they deemed would be relatively high impact to address this issue that was compromising adherence. And then once they had those programs in place, they developed more subjective measures to say, okay, how frequently are we talking to people about this, right? How many, you know, for our field organization, are they communicating this message? And then they would do sort of after the fact measurement through light surveys or sometimes checking in on physicians in any way, shape or form to see if it was having the desired impact. It wasn't like a sample set of 3,000 people and you know there was a statistical confidence interval of plus or minus 2%. It wasn't that type of program. But because they put together a series of interventions to address that specific negative experience that was hurting the behavior they wanted to drive, they could then derive a series of subjective measurement exercises to say, hey, is this working or not? And what they found out over time was that it absolutely was. Oh, I forgot to mention, the other thing that they did is they uh, they continued to monitor whether or not this was a perception that uh, patients had, because that's the other component, right? When an HCP tells this to a patient, generally a patient's going to sort of say, oh, I, my doctor knows what he's talking about. I better follow his directions. So uh, patient attitude and uh, problem frequency, so to speak, was a, a really good indicator as well. And they put a lot of listening posts in place within, you know, call centers and variety of other areas to pick up on that. So it sounds like what you want to have is kind of tiers of, of KPIs. Maybe you've got one for your overarching program. So that's your main dashboard. But after you identify, for example, a problem like that, then you might have sort of sub KPIs to help understand how well the team is doing addressing that very, very specific problem. 
Like, are the solutions working to that very specific problem? Obviously, at some juncture, it's going to roll up to that main dashboard, but you've got a problem at hand. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of reasons why that is absolutely true. When you think about healthcare delivery, you think about all the different agents of influence that are, that are in the game, they're all conspiring, either purposefully or by accident, to create patient experiences. Or, well, let's, let's stay with the patient for a moment here, right? Because you include healthcare providers and whatnot. How that happens, it really means that they, they've all got to be coordinated and integrated somehow. So if I'm a call center rep, the things that I need to care about in terms of driving adherence or a KPI, like way up the chain, might be more narrow. And I need to have a way to clearly link what I am supposed to care about operationally and attitudinally and behaviorally to the patient outcome. But I don't need to focus on everything. I need to focus on my piece of the pie. And so as you start to assemble the different components that are really mission critical for any one agent in the delivery system, then you start to sort of develop the architecture of the ladder that ultimately takes you to, and this is so important, to that end goal. You, you can't develop a KPI system unless you really have a sense at the end of the day, what is it that you want to accomplish? It all needs to derive from that. So let's talk about that for a sec, because as Drucker maybe said, what you measure gets managed. Gets managed, absolutely. So you've got that. On the other hand, you've got unintended consequences of KPIs galore. You know, like, for example, you're talking about the call center. You start assessing, and I'm going to make something up, like how long you spend on the call with a consumer. And that's actually a good thing because if it's a long call, they're engaged. So then you can just get people asking how their lunch was or something. There's any number of examples, especially in healthcare. MLR ratios, anyone, um, <laughs> that are very indicative of the extreme, I'm going to say, easiness of inadvertently creating perverse incentives to do things. How do you either evolve so that you can incrementally correct KPIs that are creating a little bit of off-the-rails behavior? Or how do you ensure that you're not doing that to begin with? You know, what's your advice here? <laughs> Well, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? So I guess that's the uh, sort of the obvious observation here. It is not easy to do. It is a non-trivial problem, and it is one that is multi-vector and incredibly dynamic because when you're trying to address KPIs to deliver a certain outcome today, I guarantee you that six months from now, those circumstances will change. So it's, it's sort of like riding a, a, a kayak in a river. You've got to know exactly where you are and where you're going and where you want to end up. And you've got to respond to changing conditions that you're operating in in real time. How do you do that effectively? Well, you hire intelligent call center reps and you hire great supervisors and good managers and, and good divisional leaders and good executives. And that sort of goes without saying, right? Because if you don't have the capability in the organization to sort of intelligently navigate that, you're going to end up with negative outcomes. That, that's one thing. And it's probably a little obvious. The other two things I would offer up is that you can't go wrong. If everything derives from what the customer needs and expects, that will be your North Star. It's not a roadmap. It's not going to tell you where to turn left and turn right. It's not Google Maps, but it is an orientation point, right? And if you are looking to navigate your customer experience and your operational KPIs to focus on, over the long run, what 
I firmly believe will deliver superior market returns, you need to focus on what it is that the customer requires, right? And so if the customer needs more time in the call center, you may need to make that compromise, which leads you to staffing implications or whatnot, or technology investments to basically limit them, you know, to make it easier. I mean, there's, there's a host of examples, but the customer experience is absolutely the lodestar. And the third thing I'll offer up is this. KPIs are incredibly powerful and potentially incredibly damaging when they are tied to compensation and reward. And so not every company, I mean, every company has metrics and targets and they tie comp to them in some way, shape or form, or at least most of them do. If you're thinking about experiential and operational metrics, you just need to be really thoughtful about how you develop your compensation programs. Because if you get it right, it is an incredible accelerator for a customer-centric culture. And if you get it wrong, it isn't. Now, I noticed that many of the examples that you're giving, especially relative to pharmaceutical companies, who I'm assuming are one of your large customer... One of our verticals, not the only one. Many of the examples focused on adherence. I can intuit why a pharma company would be focusing on adherence if that's a... Or, or an IDN or any one of a number of, yeah. Or formulary committees are actually also highly focused. Interestingly enough, the work that we see with uh, hospital networks and such is that they're looking beyond the molecule to the value-add services that a pharmaceutical partner can bring because sometimes it's not the molecule that is the most important thing in terms of health outcomes. It's the package of services that surround it, so... Relative to, like, for example, a pharmaceutical company like the PNT committee actually does an exercise and, and evaluates how good they are, or maybe on a continuing basis, at continuing to have a happy patient who has good outcomes. I don't think it's that formal. Actually, we see uh, PNT committees making sort of informed, uh, subjective judgments around which products they're going to add on the basis of clinical efficacy and clinical data. Obviously, that's where, where it starts. But then on top of that, the extent to which they are, I don't know, I'll use the word impressed for lack of a better word, by the capability of a pharmaceutical company to help them, to partner with them to create a superior patient experience within their mandate in the healthcare system. And so, you know, a lot of hospital networks are, I mean, everybody's struggling with how to drive uh, adherence behaviors uh, and continuation behaviors. They're looking for help wherever they can get it. And what we increasingly see is that the pharmaceutical companies or the device manufacturers who have an informed and actionable set of insights around what to do to sort of help with patient adherence is incredibly valuable to IDNs because it's really not so much about intelligent pill boxes or, or digital stimulation. I mean, those things are important, but they're not the most important aspect of adherence. What, one other comment I just want to make here, I have been talking a lot about adherence, and I think I started this conversation, <laughs> if I can recall, uh, talking about sort of the market outcomes and why we get engaged with clients. And now having said that, the reputational aspects of succeeding in that area, I mean, you accrue a lot of market and reputational benefits by delivering great patient experiences. When a pharma company is offering insights, which an IDN would find valuable in order for both to encourage, let's just say, a more engaged and adherent patient, mm -hmm. does 
it kind of end there? Or do you see instances where a pharma company is partnering with an IDN and together developing a patient journey that both are on board with and both responsible for different aspects of like, okay, they're going to come in and then I'm going to send the phone call to you? There are instances where we see the beginning of that type of collaboration. And I think everybody would espouse that that is absolutely the end goal. The reality of life in the marketplace is that sometimes the market incentives of, a, of an IDN are not fully aligned with the market incentives of a pharmaceutical company. And even if they were, your ability to deliver on that promise of collaboration is another non-trivial task, right? I mean, you need to engage at multiple points in the organization. It doesn't start and end with the, you know, the formulary committee. I mean, you've got C-suite sort of interactions and influencers as well. You've got a variety of therapeutic centers of influence that are highly consequential to what formulary committees do or don't do, but they're not part of the formulary committee. So in order for a pharma company to be effective at that, they need to be astute at a number of different things. You've got to have the right strategy for collaboration. That strategy actually may be very different depending on whether your IDN has a decentralized or a centralized decision-making process. It also depends greatly on whether or not the IDN is still living in a more traditional, you know, sort of pay-for-volume model or whether or not they are migrating more towards an outcome-based pay-for-performance. So, so right out of the gate, you may have four different types of IDNs that you need to figure out how to collaborate with. And, you know, you need to discern what their objectives are because their objectives are going to be influenced by their competitive market situation to some extent, going back to your original point. Um, and then, you know, even if you can figure all that out, you got to be able to deliver on it. And that requires a deployment team that, frankly, most pharmaceutical companies don't have in place. We see evidence that a lot of pharmaceutical companies are starting to hitch up their britches and get ready for that. And they're trying to understand exactly how they need to engage with uh, the IDNs of the world so that they can build the capabilities necessary to be successful. But this is very much a work in progress, and it is very early stage. Did I fail to ask you something that I should have, John? Yeah, I think there is. So we've talked a lot about experiences and quantifying experiences and KPIs that sort of will tell you how you're doing on managing those experiences, right? The one thing that I would urge your listeners to think about, if you really want to change your customer behaviors, if you really want to drive a health outcome or a market outcome or uh, a strategic outcome with an, if you're a pharmaceutical company work with an IDN, if you want somebody to do something different, there is this tendency, and it's a human tendency because we all sort of like seek the stars to say, what can I do that's great? What can I do that's a surprise and delight experience? The reality of it is, is that if you want to improve market outcomes and wellness behaviors in the short to intermediate term, the best place to focus is on what's going wrong. As human beings, we have evolved. We are just hardwired to respond viscerally to negative stimuli. Something that causes us pain or anxiety, frustration, you know, anything negative, frankly, it's going to have about a 10x impact on what we do than a positive experience. And we remember those experiences for way longer. They're influential for a much longer period of time. And we tend to sort of circulate those negative experiences by telling other people about them. So it takes a certain amount of cultural and organizational courage to say, I am going to go out of my way to find out the things that I am doing wrong, the pain that I am inflicting on my partners or my customers or my patients, 
And I'm going to try to understand the worst ones and fix those. But if you take that stance, what we have seen is that those are the companies who are most successful for a lot of different reasons. Some of them are operational, but they also tend to be the best innovators. So I am a market research professional and market research professionals hate this quote from Steve Jobs. You may be familiar with it. Yes. You know what I'm going to yeah, say? I, yeah, right. I, I love it, but you go ahead. All right, I'll, all right. I'll tell it, right? Because because uh, I say this all the time, right? I mean, I'm going to get it wrong, actually. Steve Jobs said something like, I was like I, look, I have no use for market research. I don't want to hear what customers tell me they want. Our job is to anticipate what they want before they want it. Well, you know, I buy into that. That is absolutely true. And one of the things when you're thinking about managing the customer experience is if you look at the pain points and the problems and you think about them casting a shadow on your customer future, right? Those are the unmet needs and market requirements that you can innovate against. I think the other half of that quote by Jobs, and it's a great one, is that, you know, if Henry Ford had gone out and asked customers what they needed, they would have said, hey, I need a faster horse. What did I take away from the quote? And and there was a bit of it. We're both going to go look it up after we have this conversation. It's going to be completely different. It was something about vision. You know, like you can't expect your customers to provide you with a vision. Oh, yeah. So the way that I would kind of mediate those two, the jobs quote versus the importance of market research is to say you can't expect your customers to give you a vision. But market research would be instrumental in assuring that you're doing your math before you go barreling off. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. And it, it, it actually, it's a, it, that's probably a good uh, bow to put on this KPI conversation. Because if you amass a set of KPIs that are thoughtfully constructed and ladder up to your ultimate outcomes, um, they should be telling you that you are or are not delivering on a set of customer expectations that are going to lead you and your relationship to the customer to that visionary future point. I love it. So if people are interested in learning more about what you are up to at the Verde Group, where can they find you, John? Well, they can reach us at veritygroup.com is probably the easiest way to go to our website. But anyway, if they, if they want more information about our products and services or the kind of work that we do, either in healthcare or in any other vertical, that's a, probably a good place to start. Excellent. It was so great to have you on the podcast today, Thank John. you. It was great being here. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week, the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.